You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. There are 43 games left in the regular season, which would normally mean that we have a pretty clear picture of where the L.A. Kings are and when they're likely to finish, but not this season. We're just getting warmed up. This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? Hey, man. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank Pro you. Heart. Thanks. You. That's cool, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for remembering. <laughs> <laughs> you know me man i um, i'm a sucker for the holidays yeah likewise to you and your wife thank um, you i hope you thank enjoyed you. the indoors as much as everyone else did it was delightful it's everything i hoped it could be wonderful i and i always celebrate uh valentine's personally because it is uh, mary and gabrick's birthday mm. it's a little bit of a holiday for me for those well, who don't know long-time listeners of the show know Vardy's favorite right. player of all time, Marion Gabryk. It's, it's tough to say all time. It's really tough to say all time, but of I the recent... Know. Who would you say? Is it Guy Lafleur? I know you're a Guy Lafleur guy. See, I wasn't alive for Lafleur, <laughs> so it's tough to say that either. Actually, you were. Well, I was, but for I wasn't his, like... For that second stint, that real yeah. brief one in Quebec. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't alive for prime Guy Lafleur. Yeah, I, I have a I have a vague idea of Guy Lafleur based on like video clips and and stuff I've read, like like in uh, the game when when Ken oh, Dryden great book just does this. If you yeah, for those who have not read that book, please do yourself a favor. But like he he describes he has like a chapter where he just describes like Guy Lafleur and how how he watched Guy Lafleur play as obviously being a netminder for the Canadians, he had, he had a very interesting um, and unique point of view. And Dryden's a, a super smart dude, um, very good writer. And just the way that he analyzes Lafleur's game was, it's, it's intoxicating. Like you just get this sense that this is a guy that, you know, really loved playing the game a particular way. Um, so that that's, that's kind of where my appreciation for Lafleur came from. But I guess in terms of like, recent maybe in the last 20 years guys that i was able to watch come into the league and progress um i guess it would be gabby and and that was well before he came on the kings that was that was a very unique thing to happen for me as a fan was to have like a player that you like come to your team and then win a cup on that team like that that who who gets to who gets to have that huh that's i was going to ask you what that felt like for you because I remember your like I remember your Minnesota Wild jersey like this is no joke the guy got drafted by Minnesota and and you immediately took a liking to him so how did that feel because my favorite players of all time just happened well I when I started really loving hockey they were already on the Kings right um so it's not it would be the equivalent of like from the modern players if somehow the Kings got Sidney Crosby and you know, they won a Stanley Cup. Didn't need him, apparently, which is great. <laughs> yes, if that happened, I think we'd be all okay with that, you know. Um, it, it was it was such a weird feeling. It was <laughs> All I remember is that the day that they actually traded for him, like, people texting me congratulations as though I had done something in particular to make that happen. Sure. And 
And, and it's very difficult always to predict how well it's going to go for anyone. He was certainly, you know, towards the tail end of his career and, and was playing well in New York and then obviously not so well in Columbus. Um, but it was just, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like for, for someone, when you appreciate a player that much where you're not just looking at their stats, when you're just looking, when you know what their game looks like, you know what I mean? You don't care what type of numbers they're putting up. You just know what they're going to do in certain spots and what they're capable of doing. That was the best part for me because otherwise it was really difficult for me to get to watch Minnesota games or New York games or Columbus games to really see as much of of his game as I'd like to see. Obviously early on when he was in Minnesota, they were having some playoff success and stuff like that. So I got to, I got to see a fair amount of that then. But once he came to LA, I just got to watch that every single game. I got to watch him play every single game and, and see him pick his spots and see him flash that speed and, and that shot and everything like that, that, that makes you, you know, like when you really follow a player, you're not just like, yeah, I like the way he plays and I'm going to wear his jersey. But like when you really get into it and you start like looking at how their game is, there's there's nothing better than that. And then to see him actually just do phenomenally in that second cup run, score, I think, 14 goals in that cup run. I mean, it's it was a wonderful feeling to I answer bet. your question. I bet. My favorite Marion Gabrick stretch of games will forever be that series against Anaheim, he just absolutely mm-hmm. torched them. And it was so beautiful to watch. I think there was a a span where he scored like three consecutive goals over two games, um, including an overtime winner. And then the first goal in the next game, just, I I am so glad that trade worked out for so many <laughs> reasons. But I mean, like you said, it, it seemed like he was at the tail end of his career, but he had one more, like, yep. he had one more in him. You know, and uh, God, I miss Dean Lombardi sometimes. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, you've, like been, you've, been, you've been waxing nostalgic about Dean lately. I'll tell you, um, if you look back at the reasons why, we're going to, obviously we're going to, this show is already <laughs> off the rails. We're going to talk about modern things. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're off the rails. It's fine. <laughs> just go with it. Trust me, those rails aren't that great right now anyway. <laughs> just let's think about happier times for just a second. If you look at all the things he was criticized for, and at the time rightfully so, it was so much about giving away future pieces, high-end prospects, high-end draft choices for aging players or players that he felt could give the Kings one more shot in the arm for one more run. If you look at those trades, and and namely the, the few that come to mind, of course, are the Sekera trade. Mm-hmm. where we gave up, I believe, Roland McEwen. Mm-hmm. He was heavily criticized for tr- uh, trading Valentin Zikov for Chris Versteeg. Um, I, obviously, the Lucic for Martin Jones trade was also much lamented because, you know, even we question, like, could Martin Jones have been the Kings' number one goalie? My point is, all those players I just named that the Kings gave up, Roland McEwen... Valentin Zikov, Martin Jones, and a handful of other guys. How many of those guys truly panned out to be special NHL players? Now, Martin Jones was damn good when he was on the Kings, and he had a few really good seasons in San Jose, but he is having a rough time right now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's around, maybe that's arguable. I think Chernak for Bishop is one you point to and you're like, mm, could have used him a little bit. But again, is Eric Chernak a special kind of NHL player where you look back at that trade and be like, if we only had him, you know. So that's really um, what I've been thinking about recently. Was it time for a change? Maybe. Um, but the more I think about it, and, and this has nothing to do with Rob Blake or the job he's done, because I think he's done a good job. There's, a, I, I'm not going to sit here and nitpick him, and it would even be hard to do that, actually, because mm-hmm. we haven't really seen the fruits of his labor yet and we're about to it looks like and we'll get into that because things are looking really nice right now um so it's not about blake it's more about his the end was not as bitter as maybe we felt it was at the time yeah well i also think like you're looking now that you know ron hextall is is back in the gm chair and he was our longtime assistant GM too. And so you do wonder. Yeah. Mentored by Dean Lombardi, by the way. Right, right, right. And, and so I think, you know, that gets you again, going back to your question from the last episode about like, well, when does, when does Dean's name come up again? You know, like what, what seriously did he do to make himself so off the grid an option? Like he's, he's not even considered anymore because there's tons of guys who get second chances, third chances at this, and they don't have the resume that, that he has, especially within the last decade, you know? Um, and I do wonder, I do wonder how much of that doesn't even come down to like the trades and the moves here and there, but more so the stuff that like was a little bit out of his control. And then the way he handled the parts that were in his control, obviously in, in handling the Mike Richards situation, the the Voinov situation, those things, but rightly or wrongly, I don't know if I'd necessarily hang that totally on Dean. You know, the Voinov situation, I, I, I that's that's not necessarily on him beyond like letting him come back and practice and things like that. Which uh, I don't know. That's that's such an odd situation. I think things like that were not commonplace or, or not really sure how to handle it. Not that I agreed with it, but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. The Richard situation, that just got ugly in a lot of ways. But again, I, I just feel like you, if you erase those two things, or even if you don't erase it, even if you consider those two things, I feel like there's so many other people who have done worse or handled players worse or done so many other things, and yet their names just keep coming up in the conversation. So you yeah. do wonder what... What exactly is the reason why Dean Lombardi's name does not come up in these like GM conversations yeah. anymore? I think we talked about maybe it's a Dean thing more than yeah, and it might be. And I think it might be. I think like again, this is speculation, but I really think he got his heart broken by the way, like the way some of these things happen. I think the Mark Mike Richards thing really was a gut punch yeah. for him specifically. Um, I'm sure the Voinov thing was just as difficult and i think like you said if he made it known that he's interested in coming back i think at the very least he would get a front office position and maybe rework his way up to gm sure. which you know for a guy like him would be a travesty of course but um if you again if you just look at 
the, this guy's trade history with the Kings, it is outstanding. It is outstanding. Jordan Wheel. What's he doing, Vardy? Yeah, he's nowhere to be found. Cool. Colin Miller. Yeah. Hudson I, Fashing. <laughs> he got Marion Gabryk for Matt Fratton, a second and a third. Just <laughs> highway robbery. <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. Come on. Some of this no, stuff dude. is ridiculous. Yeah, he's he's hit home runs. He's his slugging average is is pretty consistent. I think if you were to look at any GM, and if that GM, I, I honestly I look at hockey trades almost like baseball hitting numbers. Like if you're batting two fifty to three hundred, those are Hall of Fame GM numbers in terms of trade success. This guy's batting like seven, higher than seven hundred. <laughs> I'm like sure. Easy. I'm sure he's high. Easy. Again, I think the Bishop trade was bad. Those were those those like later year ones. He was just kind of floundering. He was just trying to throw some stuff at the wall and see what stuck. But like the Bishop trade was bad because it created this like weird situation with him and Quick and Bishop played like two games, and then he went on to Dallas and did phenomenally in Dallas until he got hurt again. So that's the kind of stuff that just when you think about the more recent things, it reflects poorly. But I mean, ultimately that's what happens with GMs, right? Like you peak. And then the reason you get fired is because things are just going wrong. That doesn't, I don't think that should erase the, the success that you had prior to that. You know, like look at Nashville right now. I think, I think uh, David, David Polo's is <laughs> going to be, Really, really in a hot seat going forward. His ass has to be on fire right now. It's got to be right. That team is awful. It's awful, and he 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 took an awful situation and compounded it by making it even worse by bringing in John Hines, who had done terribly in New Jersey and now continues to do terribly with a roster that is not is not as great as as has been before. But anyway. My point is, this is this is the natural evolution of coaches. It's the natural evolution of GMs. You peak, there's the high times, and then very rarely are you the guy that's there for 30 years with consistent success. You know, that just it doesn't happen. Of course, and I, I again, I do think if I really sit down and think about it, the way the team was performing, it was probably time for a change. It was probably time for that wholesale change i know there's a lot of people who feel like you know you should have gotten rid of daryl but not dean but then there was a lot of stories that they were a package deal and dean was gonna die on the daryl hill anyway um right that's re- yeah that was really kind of the stuff i've been thinking about recently and it kind of yeah. it's a good segue to what we were talking about with rob blake because now you're seeing with the way the kings have been playing the last handful of games specifically with a few players now you're seeing where this team might be headed in a season or two uh dean lombardi made us familiar with the term filling boxes Mm -hmm. like we are now seeing boxes being filled uh for this season for next season more importantly for maybe season uh three and four of this little window we got going on here and a couple of guys that have been really jumping out at me vardy and i know you agree uh, obviously, Jared Anderson Dolan, a name that you'll probably find on every Kings podcast right now, every Kings article. He's kind of the talk of the team, the way he's performed lately. And more, maybe to a lesser degree and more surprisingly, Austin Strand. 
has been playing very well for the Kings. Yeah. And we're going to kind of focus in on those two guys for the moment. I know you specifically have already talked about Austin's friend a couple of times. What have you seen from him and in him that has impressed you so far? Yeah, so... You know, Strand has been, I'm trying to like kind of go over his, so he, he's a WHL guy, obviously. He played in Seattle. He's a little bit older. He's 23. Um, he been in Ontario basically for two, three seasons now, putting up, you know, unremarkable numbers, I would say. Like, so in 18-19, he put up uh, 18 points in 43 games. Last season was 15 points in 41 games. I don't think anyone had him pegged as, as a guy that was going to make that jump anytime soon. You know what I mean? Um, he had decent numbers in the WHL in like his last season there. He had 64 points in 69 games, which is terrific for any defenseman, I would say. But... I don't think that anyone had him pegged as a guy who was going to come up. And I think it's only because of recent circumstances with, you know, Matt Roy's injury, Walker's injury that, that we're trying to fill in those boxes, so to speak, and just plug some holes where we can get a roster out there and get them playing. Um, I have been very vocally, not a big fan of Curtis McDermott being a consistent member of the lineup. I, I think I'm sure he's a fantastic guy. He just, he strikes you as one of those like big dudes who likes to punch, but you get to the locker room and he's probably all, all shucks and the boys love him and, and everything. I get that. And I get that there's probably value for, for guys like that on the team, but the current circumstances have forced him into playing more consistently and more minutes than I think he's qualified to play. And obviously the uh, Oli Mata trade is not going the way that they hoped. They were hoping that this guy was going to skate 18, 19, 20 minutes next to Dowdy and create some sort of a one-two punch, and it is nowhere near that. So being shorthanded, now the Kings are having to play Kale Clegg, you know, 19 minutes a night, something like that. And I think in all fairness to him, I think he's, he's stepped up despite the fact that the Kings haven't had very good games the last week or so. I think I've noticed some improvement in, in Clegg's game. A lot more confidence, a lot more controlled entry, a lot better, um, you know, um, positioning in the defensive zone and, and trying to make a good first pass. But with regards to Strand, he's played four games, but there's a poise to the way he's playing. I think he's very patient. I think he skates well. I think he makes a good first pass. He's not showing a lot of panic in his game. I'm sure he's getting some, you know, relatively protected minutes compared to the other guys, but to me, it, it's just a better move. I realize he's not a one-to-one replacement for McDermott. I know there's a question of handedness and what side they play on. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I think he's a reasonable option on the bottom pairing. And so far in, in the four games that he's played, he's showing all the tools to be a steady guy on that pairing in my mind. Small sample size, obviously. Um, sure. But, yeah, I really like his footwork, uh, the way he's moving around on the ice looks really crisp. Good first pass. I think Jim Fox alluded to how much zip he has on his passes. He's, you know, he's really trying to move the puck up. I think he's aware, you know, sometimes when these guys come from where this guy came from, and this is, by the way, an undrafted free agent right. signing by Rob Blake. Right. I think it was one of the first signings he made. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the reason he made it is because the king's prospect cover was so bare and like those were the kind of moves that he was looking to make and looks like he might have a good one in Austin Strand the other guy was a draft pick that we're going to talk about is Jared Anderson Dolan here's like here's a guy who in my opinion should not be out of the lineup anymore this season I know that's saying a lot but when you look at the Kings roster and the makeup of this team it should not be that big of a leap to say that he's just like Strand I see a lot of poison in his game he looks like he's been playing in the league for five six years he looks like a veteran I tweeted jokingly that Jerry Anderson Dolan is my favorite veteran on this team because he's playing he's playing the right way and for a young player to do that with such limited experience, it's really, really impressive to me. That line with Anderson, Dolan, Grunstrom, and Moore the last two games have really been a handful for the Sharks. I know we're going to mm-hmm. get through all the games, but they truly were a deterrent. They, they were putting a lot of pressure on the Sharks' defense. Their forecheck was tenacious, and they finally got rewarded on that really nice goal in the, in the second game. I love what I'm seeing from him, absolutely. And again, I know there's a lot of paper transactions going on. He was recently put back to the taxi squad. I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I know completely where that's headed, but I would expect that he does not get removed from the lineup after those two games. Um, and with respect to M- Mike Amadio, I think we're in a position now where Amadio has to outwork JAD to get into the lineup. Yeah, and and. You know, he he came in the same draft as Velarde, uh, so 2017. So now three seasons later, we're starting to see these guys be members of the lineup. I think the the one thing that I, I had been hearing more and more, um, and this is in listening to Jesse Cohen and, and looking at some of the the post game discussions from uh, McClellan and every, McClellan and everything, is that they actually want him to loosen up a little bit. And speaking about uh, Jared Anderson Dolan, like he has become so focused on playing a tight two-way game and not messing up on the defensive side of the puck that they've had to like encourage him to to attack more, to be more present in the offense. That's that's crazy. Isn't that nuts? It's like the it's like the reverse Nick Dowd. <laughs> Listen to episode one, you'll know what we're talking about. It truly is. It truly is, and that's that's you know. I think it's that's that's such a great quality to have, you know. Like if you have to encourage a kid to play less defensively, <laughs> I, I think you're in a good position. And he, if he keeps that up, he strikes you as that like prototypical classic Kings player kind of guy, right? That that Jared stole, you know, middle six center, bottom six center guy who's just tough as nails and tenacious on defense. But when you can get him to turn to the offense, he actually contributes. And those are the guys that we were looking to replace, right? The the Stoles, the Lewises of the world. You know, obviously you, you hope he has a higher ceiling than that. He was a second round pick, but hey man, that's there's no shame in, in having a Jared Stoll like career if that's where he settled. So I'm, you know? I'm pretty sure the two guys you mentioned were first round picks, by the way. Stoll was a second rounder. Okay, Lewis there you was go. a Louis was the first rounder. Actually, still might have been a third. Now you got me looking at that. We got to look at it. I, I mean, obviously. And what else are we doing out here if we're not going to check Jared Stoll's draft position? <laughs> Let me see here. 
He was 46th overall, second round pick. Okay, okay. Wait, he was, was he drafted twice? Was I think he? they drafted him. He wasn't signed, and he went back in and got selected 36th overall by the Still Oilers. Still in the second round. Still, Still in the second round. 10 spots. He did okay. We're not about to feel <laughs> sorry for Jared Stoll's That's right. draft ranking. But, yeah, you, I absolutely agree with you. It's he. You want him to be of that ilk where you could – you could throw him on the ice and trust him in situations where you're up a goal, but also maybe throw him on the ice when you're down a goal on a second power play unit, something like that. And he's shown the smarts. That's another thing is he's shown the understanding of the game to play in those situations. Not a lot of guys can do that, man. Not a lot of guys you could play PK and power play, right? Um, so, And I think he's, he might be one of those guys that absolutely can do that. Let, let's look at some of these games, Vardy. Last we left you. Do we have to? Last we left you, we were, looking, we were talking about... Um, it was a somber episode last episode. I will say we were not overly optimistic about what was happening with the team. They had just come off a split against Minnesota um, and headed into Anaheim. It did not get better because Mm-mm. they dropped that game to Anaheim in what was... A horrendous effort by the team. I think the Ducks... I think I looked at the metrics of that game and it was... I have never seen the Kings, even in their worst, I don't know, version, be dominated yeah. like that. In I think the in Twitter stats community... In, on high danger yeah. scoring chances. Just every graphic I saw come across the Twitter feed was, was horrendous it, for the it team. It was painful, dude, because that was one of those nights where... All of the uh, you know the the amateur statisticians who kind of follow and prepare all those graphs and stuff like they were just going off. They're not Kings <laughs> fans. They're not Ducks fans. They're not one. Oh, they're stats fans. And so it was just like, good lord, look at these Corsi numbers. <laughs> look at these expected goals for. Has you ever seen anything like this? It was it was almost like they had seen some sort of a quantum anomaly or something like that <laughs> it was though it was very it was, much it was an insane anomaly. very little to be excited about but one thing of course arthur Callio's nhl debut and wouldn't you know it he goes to the net he scores a greasy one first nhl goal welcome to the show done after that game <laughs> that's right back down you go <laughs> back down you go that's enough of that yeah, but I assume I, I don't assume I expect that we'll see more of Arthur Kaliev in certain spots. They got to pick your spots with these guys, right? I mean, yeah. we've we've talked about uh, not wanting to burn that first year of the entry level contract, yada yada yada, whatever. Yeah, and we can go back and forth on that. I really don't want to, but <laughs> pick your spots, get him in. I think it was great to see him score, and he'll take that, put it in the bank, and be ready next time. Yeah. So then you hoped that they would take that effort. They would take that garbage effort against the team that that uh, you really thought they had a chance of beating. And you hoped that they would carry that momentum into Vegas, a team that they surprisingly have done relatively well against, despite Vegas having a superior roster and superior record the last couple seasons. Nope. <laughs> I, think, I think I texted you that we would know within the first 10 minutes of this game how it was going to go. And I think at the 9.45 mark of the first period, the Kings were down 3-0. <laughs> so it was just another stinker of an effort against Vegas. You're putting a dent in our E. Crow per 60, buddy. We can't, <laughs> can't have that, making predictions. But 
I think I texted you that Vegas is Quick's daddy. And, and that, that was in reference to Pedro Martinez <laughs> saying the Yankees are my daddy. <laughs> yeah, it's just he has had a terrible time against this team. I know the Kings have played well against them, but I, I just keep seeing these images of three, four, or five goals going in on Jonathan. That's right. Like, he's having a tough one. He's having a rough one. <laughs> a tough one, but it's also, you know, the team in front of him that game. It was just... I don't know what he could have done on some of those goals. Just a complete lack of effort on defense. And quite frankly, right now the team, for whatever reason, is just playing better in front of Cal Peterson. I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not about to go sports psychology on this. I don't know. But at this moment, (laughs) as we record, the team seems to be playing better in front of Cal. Um, Yeah. And the very next game against Vegas, it was just a, I don't know. It, it was the Kings defensively were a tire fire that game. <laughs> Robin Lehner in net for Vegas was not good. He let in some real softies. Uh, the Kings still end up losing that game four to three. But at least I think the most encouraging thing, Kopitar scores early, right? I think he the first shot of the game goes in, kind of sets the tone. But uh, a lot of fight back from the Kings. Jerry Anderson Dolan, first NHL goal in that game. And, yeah, the they take the L. But I think you could look at that game and say it was starting to click a little bit for them after those two stinkers. Yeah. Yeah, I think – and, again, I'm, I'm glad to see that type of response. Maybe a game late, but that's fine. Um, you know, I was – I was – pretty upset after those three games i was just feeling a bit hopeless and it sucked and you know things just weren't looking really good but and then we went into the the next game against san jose end up losing that one in a shootout four to three and that's when i i kind of just like i stepped away from the anger for a second and i was like well let me just think about this logically let me just think about like who is actually in this roster and who is not playing and so Significant. to see you yeah and that's the that's the thing like i think you lose track of this when you're looking at it from one game to the next to the next that like okay athanasiu and lazat were out for both of those games so that's that's two guys that had been playing second line minutes okay roughly yeah and uh athanasiu was was really scoring scoring he was playing well yeah, and he was, he was moving doing fast job, yeah lazat obviously you know Maybe wasn't putting up the numbers, but the effort was always there. But then you don't have Roy, you don't have Walker. That okay. I think that is where it really hurts. You wouldn't. I mean, who would have thought? I guess a year and a half ago that you know missing Walker and Roy would essentially be the end of your of your defensive dreams. Yeah. But that's what it felt like, you know, and that's what it feels like now. I know it's it's gone a little better. You know, it's gone a little more solidified, but that's a lot to miss, man. And sometimes you're right, as a, as fans and as people who who care so much about the team, sometimes your brain stops working and it's all about your heart, and, and you you do get disappointed. But absolutely, I mean, that's 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 a lot for any team to overcome to lose two of your top four defensemen. But this team, sp- especially, that's just a little too hard for a, a team this young to to overcome, and yet they are doing surprisingly well. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I think 
that's what I was struggling with. I was watching these games and I was getting into the emotion of the game and I was like, God, they look like garbage and this looks like that and it's just awful. But then I have to like step back and look at it and go, well, what choice do they have but to play McDermott 18 <laughs> minutes a night? You know, when oh, I watch him get beat on a on a on a dump and chase and that results in some sort of a turnover or a goal or like a really solid chance up front. I, I can't be mad at him anymore. I really can't because this is not what he's meant to be doing. I'm happy for him that he's getting an NHL check, but it's it's clear that this is not what he's meant to be doing. That that's not an insult to him. I'm not meant to be an NHL player either, you know? Like it's But have you it's, tried? <laughs> I can't, you know, that's a good point. That is an excellent point. New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kings lose. Also, they lost in heartbreaking fashion. I think Evander Kane ties that game with about 40 seconds left or 45 seconds left. Yeah. Maybe, le- I don't know, something like that. So so that hurts, obviously, and then they lose in the shootout. But- yeah, starts and finishes, man. Starts and finishes for this team have been have been very, very difficult. You know, they're constantly down in the first period, and the ones that they're up, they just can't seem to, to clamp it down. Correct. I think it com- and it comes back to personnel. It really does. Correct. Uh, the next game against San Jose, looks like they got that message because they started out like a house on fire. Andre Kobitar starts the scoring early. Carl Gunstrom, Austin Wagner, and before you know it, it's pretty much a boat race. Kings win that one. 6-2 to two was the final score. Mm-hmm. Jared Anderson Dolan, we talked about that goal, but that line uh, played really well. And overall, just probably... One of the better coast-to-coast efforts for the Kings in terms of uh, playing a full 60 minutes. Yeah. So now, you know, we, we were supposed to have one game against Minnesota this weekend. That's been postponed because of uh, COVID outbreaks basically happening all across the league at this point. And the league is scrambling to figure out how to fix it, starting to implement rapid testing, etc. But... Um, all indications are that we will be actually going through with the game, I think, in a couple of days, when this upcoming Tuesday, I believe. Um, in any case, the the good news is that's given a little additional time for some guys to potentially get back into the lineup. Uh, Lazat, Athanasiu, we're skating with the team, so all indications are they will be back. Um, Roy and Walker have started skating non-contact. I believe so good chance that they will be back as well. And so now you start getting into those decision-making elements of, okay, who stays, who goes, who's going taxi, who's going back to the AHL, which by the way, you know, for the, as much as I'm on board with playing the kids and whatnot, kids ain't doing too good right now. (laughs) If you look at the AHL scores, I mean, they're Oh, four and one. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't understand what the value would be of bringing them up and having them play in the NHL when they're getting their asses handed to them in the AHL right now. Like, doesn't it make more sense to just let everyone <laughs> lose down there and figure things out? Quinn Byfield got his first pro goal. He did. Yeah, I got to watch the video of that, but I know he got on the board Fagamo got a goal. That's right. Um, and then uh, I think Daniel Brickley had one as well. 
And, uh, and he's apparently it. looking pretty good. Looking much better this season by all accounts. So, I mean, I'm I, – I don't know. Like, to me, I would rather they just play down there. They play as a unit. They get used to what it means to be a pro and learn how to win down there rather than come up and play – 12 minutes in an NHL game every third or fourth game. I, I don't see the value in that, you know, Tyler Madden's getting rave reviews down there. Just, just let them play, man. Let them play. It's a short season for them anyway, down there. They'll have plenty of time if we decide to bring them up later on in the year and, and get some games in. Yes. <laughs> There's a couple couple things I want to talk about. Sure. I want to talk about Cal Peterson and Jonathan Quick just a little bit. Hmm. Um, I mentioned in our season preview episode that I felt that if the Kings wanted to make the playoffs, they need to play Cal Peterson more than Jonathan Quick. Right now, it seems like that's holding just a little bit true. The question in my mind is this. Do you trade quick this season, or do you definitely hold and expose in the exp- in the expansion draft? I've been thinking about this the last week. Obviously, there are a dozen factors, uh, including number one, probably loyalty to the player. I think that's a situation where if he wants to stay, I think there's really no harm in keeping him, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, also at the same time, this is one of the rare seasons that I've noticed, pl- like, either playoff teams or teams that are hoping to push for the playoffs, there are quite a few of them that need goaltending help in, mm-hmm. the, in this wacky season. So that's a topic I want to bring up with you. Would you trade Jonathan Quick in this season? Should, let's say, the Pittsburgh Penguins call and their new boy, Ronnie Hextall, who is very familiar with our boy Johnny Quick, calls and says, hey, I don't know who these goalies are that we have. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, what exactly is a Tristan Jerry? Um, I would like to have quick, and I will give you whatever the case may be, a second rounder. If I'm looking at it from the viewpoint of Jonathan Quick, and I'm a logical human being who sees the writing on the wall, I think I realize that this is my last season potentially on the LA Kings. I think it's very clear that I'm going to get exposed at the expansion draft if I'm still on this roster come summertime. And there's a fair possibility, not 100%, but a fair possibility that I might get taken in that expansion draft because I don't know really what other goaltender of that caliber is going to be available to Seattle. Like a true available starter, someone who can come in and play, I don't think they're going to have that that kind of goalie option out there for them. How dare you disrespect Mike Smith like that? You know, that I just remembered it as soon as I said it. So you're quite right. <laughs> but the fact is they need two goaltenders. So they might, get, they might get Mike Smith and Jonathan quick. I don't know. So that's, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it logically, I, I know that it's a strong possibility that I'm not going to be on this roster any further past this year. So then you begin to wonder, like, well, what do I want out of this season? Do I want a little bit of control over where I go? Do I want the opportunity to play 
for a cup perhaps on a team that's in better shape than this? Or do I want to hang around for the sake of hanging around and end up on an expansion team up in Seattle and be stuck there for another year or two until, until things get figured out, which might spell the end of my career at that point. You know, I, I, I think, I think you talk it through with him. I think you try and gauge what his thoughts are. Um, the Kings obviously have to expose a goaltender, um, you know, but that's you can that's, fix that's, that that's right a, quick. Yeah, exactly. Like Real you just quick. you you resign Grosinek or whoever, and you yeah, just yeah. expose him. Like they're not going to expose Valalta or anything like that. That's not that's not an issue. Um, so I think I think it comes down to what Jonathan Quick wants, in my opinion. I think you give him the option. You say, "Hey, man, this is what do you want?" Yep. And I think you listen to the phone calls. You absolutely do. You're doing your team a disservice if you don't. And um, I think it's it's very clear from McClellan's standpoint, having now played Cal Peterson three games in a row, four games if you consider the fact that he came in in relief for quick in their first game in Vegas, that he's he's not going to defer to the fact that Johnny's a a veteran guy and just keep going to keep going back and forth between the two of them. He's going to play the guy who he thinks is going to help them win games. That is still a priority here. I think in front of a better defense, you can see a better version of Jonathan quick as well. I, I again, I don't know why specifically Peterson's numbers are that much better. Cause I feel like when I've watched them, I haven't seen, I haven't seen quick give up more than two or three, what I would consider bad goals. If that makes sense. I, I think the, the goals that are getting scored that are getting past him are good shots or odd man rushes or things like that, that, you know, he doesn't really have a, a, a solid chance of stopping. But I think the difference is that Cal is coming up with big saves. I think he's coming up with the saves that like Jonathan quick was making five years ago. He's just not making them now. So now Jonathan Quick has to rely more so on the people playing in front of him to put up what we would consider not classic Jonathan Quick numbers, but good goaltending numbers. Yeah. And that's that's where he's I think he's he can still be valuable. Is if he's playing on a team where the guys in front of him can play solid defense, he can come up with those big games, especially when it's playoff time. He's a money goaltender when it comes to playoff time. Agreed. It's interesting. It's interesting to see what's going to happen. <clears throat> it's like just a reminder that the glory days are kind of <laughs> slipping behind us and yep. that father time is undefeated. Although, man, I got to say, Andre Kopitar is giving father time a run for his money. 17 points in 13 games. He's tied for 11th in the NHL in points. Sixth in assists. This guy, he's 33 points away from 1,000 in his NHL career. That would make him only the fourth player in Kings history to reach 1,000 points in a Kings uniform. And by the way, this franchise has had some players. This isn't, (laughs) you know, Wayne Gretzky didn't do it. I know, obviously, it was a short time. Butch Goring didn't do it. Bernie Nichols didn't do it. And those guys were players. Um, 
he actually, to clarify, what you're saying is they didn't put up a thousand points correct, in the Kings uniform. Correct. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and he also has a shot, a solid shot at, at eclipsing Brown for all times games played because he's two or three years younger. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so he might get that. He's fourth all time in goals and 90 behind Dave Taylor for third. He ain't catching the other two. We know who they are. Dion yes. and Robitaille. No, no, but they're safe. Um, He's fourth all-time in assists, which is only 42 behind Gretzky for second. He's five game-winning goals behind Dion for second all-time in Kings history. And when you factor in adjusted points, he's at 1,171. That is a full 100 over Luke Robitaille for number one all-time in Kings history. So my question is this. Can you make a case that he is the greatest LA King of all time? Yes. What, you want to think about it? I understand. No. <laughs> I think when it is all said and done, he will be the greatest LA King of all time. And I'll tell you why. It's not it's not because Luke hasn't had an amazing impact on this on this team as as a player, as a as a you know management guy, but the Cubs put him over, man. The Cubs put him over. He's got the individual stats, but he's got the Cubs and and individual awards, by the way. And the and the individual awards. I mean, there's we haven't had a player have that level of individual and team success, and this team did not have that success with a lot of other amazing players. Until this guy, and obviously Brown, quick, Dowdy, yes, but he is the focal point of this team. He is the focal point and is the crown jewel of the best years of this team. I don't, I don't see how you don't say he's, he's going to end up being the greatest king of all time. He's certainly going to be in the conversation. I think the fact that he's performing so well at his age currently is, is absolutely amazing. I'll tell you this. He's without a shadow of a doubt. It's not even close. The most complete player this franchise has ever had top to bottom. Like I can't think of a player who's played for the Kings that was as good at so many things. And for as long as he's done it, mm-hmm. it's really amazing. Like Dave Taylor, maybe is a guy you're like, he's close because he was a complete player. He played in all situations like he was a nasty, right? He was mm-hmm. he was tough. But man, he's so, it's the talent gap, right, is so far with all due respect. Dave Taylor, 1,000 points. He had some 40-goal seasons, 100-point seasons. But the individ, like you said, the individual accomplishments, the Stanley Cups, I think he's without a doubt the most complete player the Kings have had, and I can't imagine someone coming in who would be more complete than him. And we take him for granted still sometimes. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Yeah, we do. And, and I, it's funny because we have always said that he could have, he could have been even better. His numbers could have been even better if he, you know, shot the puck more, was a bit more aggressive, but who knows if that would have taken away from, from some other part of his game. I, I don't know. I'm 
you, we'd be lost without him. We, we, I, I can't imagine this team without him. And that's another thing. We've, we've been blessed with him having a fair amount of longevity and few injuries and things like that. The, obviously, when he, he broke his ankle several years ago, just as the Kings were going into the playoff series against the Sharks, it was just like, I mean, you, you just knew it was done because he's that important to the team, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's look ahead to the schedule here already. Cool. Like you mentioned, uh, postponed game against Minnesota over the weekend. So on Tuesday, you know, COVID willing. And Minnesota's lineup sounds like it's going to be it's not still good. pretty depleted. A lot of guys out. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, Kaprizov is still playing, which hurts. But <laughs> <laughs> um, They're not – I mean, their depth – was questionable anyway, in my opinion, and it takes a big hit. A very winnable game for the Kings. Then they have to go two against Arizona, two against St. Louis, and a back-to-back again against Minnesota. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, can't complain. 80% of our games so far have been Arizona and St. Louis uh, will end up playing seven straight games against one another. Oh, my God. So it's essentially Painful. a playoff series going down. Uh, very interesting, by the way. Arizona putting up quite a fight you would think st louis i mean obviously winning seven is not easy but right now i believe the mini series so to speak is let's see they're in their fifth game i think it's three two arizona so dude do you called it man arizona has has made some strides like guys like christian dvorak and uh schmaltz uh, Clayton keeler has been okay but jacob chikorin has made some He's scoring strides some goals, yeah yeah like their, their young guys are starting to turn that corner and become, you know, players. But it's interesting because if you look at the standings right now, obviously the top three teams that we, we kind of thought would, would get their spots are very much getting their spots. Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado breaking away a bit from the pack. Colorado maybe not points-wise, but they've, they've played way less games than, than, um, than the other teams have. But the rest of it is just kind of a mishmash of average teams. Minnesota has fallen back a little bit. Granted, they haven't played several games, but you know their goal differentials is a solid zero. Their roster now is somewhat depleted because of COVID. Um, I mean, it's anything is possible if if we can get things going. It is still very very early here in the season, and I, I don't think that that fourth playoff spot is completely out of the Kings grasp despite the last couple weeks of terrible hockey they've been playing somehow. Especially if they have turned some kind of corner, that beautiful corner, Barty. They've <laughs> turned that beautiful corner as a team. It's certainly not out of grasp. The Ducks are fourth, which is, they are they're not, fourth with a six, six and three record like, and, a, and a yeah, minus and nine differential. Like these are not good teams. They have a lot of problems. Yeah. I none think, of these teams are none of these teams are particularly good. We have just been playing particularly bad, right? With and, a short roster. Yes, and that's kind of what we expected in the preseason for it to be a battle for that fourth spot. It's going to be interesting, but opportunities will be there. You're talking about two game series that are like eight point swings essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So 
a couple of good series for the Kings and like that Coyotes one coming up and it's it's a whole new ball game. Yep. All right. All right. It's episode Anything 65. Else? Yeah, it is episode 65. You want to guess how many I don't know. LA Kings players wore the number 65? One. Incorrect. Oh no. Zero. It is a flat zero, my friend. Yes, I love this. You win the game. Now, I love it. Would you like to play NHL 65? Let's do it. This is not right. easy. It is <laughs> not easy. It is not easy. But you can think of one person. So what, we're, what we're talking about is, is at least trying to figure out who the greatest or maybe the top couple number 65s were. I think yes. I, I have one, obviously, but I don't know if Eric Carlson is the greatest number 65. He very well might be. I think I can't think of. If, if you can think of another 65, that alone will be impressive. I can't. I can't. All right. So looking at NHL.com, uh, Mark Napier was apparently 65 at some point. He's a two-time 40-goal scorer while wearing 31 in Montreal. Then he took on the number 65 when he was traded to Edmonton in 1987 and then kept it again when he went to Buffalo. So most of – sounds like most of his production was while wearing 31 in Montreal and 65 was kind of a placeholder number towards the end of his career. So by virtue of that, I think I think you got to give it to Eric Carlson not, as the greatest number surprising. 65. It's such a stupid yeah. number. As we exactly. It's, it's easy to be the best of a, a, a stupid number if you, if you want to be that guy. Yeah. So is this is this the Eric Carlson? Hell no. Okay, cool, cool. Um, next episode is going to be fun. I have a 66 in mind. That might, All right. That might be pretty good. Um, that would be pretty good. Not for the Kings, for the greatest 66 of all time, of course. All right. Can I can I petition that we give this to Marion Gabrick as his birthday? I think as that's... A happy- a fine idea of already. There we go. Oh, absolutely fine idea. The Marion Gabrick episode, episode 65. Doesn't have Excellent. to make sense. Nope. Just has to be. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an LA Kings podcast. 